on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. The word gospel means literally the good news, specifically the good news about Jesus, that by the life and death of Jesus we are rescued, we are saved. But the good news of Jesus will only be good for us if we first understand the bad news. The bad news. And that bad news goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Maybe you remember the story how God commanded them to not eat the fruit of a certain tree in that garden. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commandment. They rebelled against their loving creator. They ate of that tree. They disobeyed God. The usual word in the Bible for disobedience against God is the word sin. All human beings, including me and you, all of us, sin. I recall a conversation from many years ago. I was talking with a young man who wasn't yet following Jesus, and somewhere in the conversation I mentioned to him that all of us are sinners. The Bible says that all of us sin. And I remember his reply. He said to me in all seriousness, Randall, I don't think I'm a sinner. And as we talked, it became clear to me that he was thinking about sin as those big immoral actions. Big immoral actions like murder or rape or armed robbery. And I find that most people today think of sin in that way. That it's the big bad stuff, the obvious and horrible immoralities. But consider the sin of Adam and Eve. On the surface, it doesn't seem that horrible. No one murdered anyone. No one was even violent. They just ate one piece of fruit from that one tree in the garden. But let's go deeper. How exactly was the woman and the man tempted to sin? Why were they tempted to eat of that fruit? Genesis 3 verse 6 tells us what was going on inside of them. Quote, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You see, the great tempter Satan had told her this, that if she ate of that fruit, she would become like God. By eating the fruit, she would obtain God-like wisdom to know both good and evil. Eve found in herself that wrong desire, a wrong desire to be like God to have that godlike wisdom. And that fruit, we read, was pleasing to her eye. It appeared very attractive to her. That's really the essence of sin. Sin is not, first of all, wrong action. Sin is, first of all, wrong desire. The essence of sin is wrongly desiring things that appear pleasing to us in some way. Think about what people today want, what they desire wrongly. For example, more and more power, more and more control, more and more fame, uh, more and more fortune, more money, more and more sex with various people, or maybe they want more chemicals in their bloodstream to give them a rush to feel good. So sin is not, first of all, terribly wrong behaviors. Yes, it's that also. But the essence of sin really is wrong desire. In the book of James, James chapter 1, we read this. Each person is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away 
and entice. Each person is tempted by inner evil desire, being dragged away and enticed by that desire. Now, according to the Bible, those wrong desires are rooted within our minds. The Bible refers to it as being rooted in our hearts. And when the Bible refers to the heart, remember it's not referring to that physical organ in our chest that pumps blood. When it refers to the heart, the Bible's referring to our inner control center, the very core of our being. So Jesus himself speaks this way, quote, Out of the heart come things like murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Out of the heart come evil actions and words and thoughts. Years ago, I heard it put this way, The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You see, deep in our hearts, something is wrong. And if we're honest, so many of our inner desires, our heart motivations are simply wrong. Even when it comes to many of our motives to want to do something good or helpful for someone. Not always, but many times. Why do we want to help a neighbor or a friend, maybe help them with their yard or help them with their children? Let's be honest, isn't it that so sometime down the road we can also ask them to help us? We will help others with the sense that there will be a payoff afterwards. They someday will help us. You see how our motives, our desires, even for good things, are often so selfish. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah says this about the human heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, quote, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That verse says not only are our hearts filled with wrong desires, but our evil hearts deceive us. The heart is deceitful above all things. Our hearts will give us false assurance. They want us to think, oh, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. But our hearts are lying to us. They're deceiving us. They will cover up God's truth about ourselves. And that makes our sin before God all the worse when it's covered up. You know, some of our parents would punish us when we said or did something wrong. But our punishment would become twice as severe if we lied about our wrongdoing. <laughs> if we lied, then we were guilty of not only the original wrongdoing, but we're also guilty then of lying about it, covering it up. So it is before God. Our wicked hearts are bad enough. But even worse, our wicked hearts deceive us. We refuse to believe the truth about ourselves. That's the depth of our human sin. Or think about sin in this way. God has given us two great commandments. The first great commandment is to love Him, to love God above everything and everyone. The second great commandment is to love our fellow human beings, specifically to love them as much as we love ourselves. But do I love people as much as I love myself? Am I willing to do helpful things for them even before I think of my own wants and needs? Am I willing to sacrifice my time and energy to help them in their need? Sadly, often, I am not. Too often I just focus on myself. I get caught up in my own things. And that's the human condition for all of us by nature. By nature, we almost always give ourselves the priority our own wants, our own needs, our own pleasures in life. We are self-centered. But according to the greatest commandment, we should be other-centered. Centered first toward God, then toward people. 
Here's something else about our sin. Often our sinful nature is revealed in what we fail to do. We so often fail to show love. We lack in love towards God. We lack in love to our fellow human beings. You know, the theologians of the past would refer to our sins of omission as well as our sins of commission. Our sin is not merely the wrong we commit, our saying wrong things or doing wrong things. Often our sin is revealed in what we have omitted. Those are our sins of omission, the things we should have said in love that we didn't say, we kept quiet, the things we should have done out of caring, but we failed to do them. If you or someone you know is unwilling to admit their own sinfulness before God, it might be helpful to ask them or to ask yourself this, well, what did I fail to do today before God? What things should I have said to help someone or to have encouraged them, but I was just too busy, I was just too selfish, or I became distracted, absorbed in my own stuff? And what things should I have said or done, even in my own family, to my spouse? How should I have shown love better to my parents or to my children? If we're honest about how we fail in love, then maybe we can start to see how we sin in so many more ways. Dozens and dozens, even hundreds of sins, when we add those sins of omission. And here's one more thing about human sinfulness. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. These words are written by Paul, the pastor and the missionary. He's writing to believers, followers of Jesus. He writes here about their past condition before they put faith in Jesus. Quote, As for you, that's all of you, the plural you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. All of us also lived, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of wrath. Paul describes our sin nature as a kind of spiritual death. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Though we are born biologically, though we're alive biologically, on the inside, spiritually, before God, we are actually dead. Instead of being alive to God, we are dead to Him. Instead of being aware of Him and loving Him and wanting to obey Him, we simply ignore Him. We have no natural love for the true God. And because of that, says Paul, all of us are, quote, objects of wrath. Because of our sin, our inner wrong desires, our lack of true love, we are all under God's wrath. My dictionary defines wrath this way, that wrath is intense anger, often on an epic scale. Intense anger, often on an epic scale. God shows his intense anger towards us as we are sinning, as we are lacking in love, as we commit not only those outright sins, but as we fail to do what we should. We are objects of God's wrath. Now, most people will think of God as being a loving being, a loving God. And yes, love is one of God's main characteristics, one of his attributes. But the Bible teaches us that God is also wrathful. He's intensely, righteously angry about our sin. Now think of a good parent. Now think of a, a father, for example, who really, truly loves his little three-year-old daughter. 
and imagine that they're walking together along the sidewalk of a busy city street. But all of a sudden, the little girl sees an ice cream truck across the street. She hears the little music it plays, and she suddenly lets go of her father's hand and starts to run across the street. I can assure you that if that father is any kind of father, he will show his anger at that moment. And that's a good anger. As a parent, that is righteous anger. So it is with God the Father. He's loving, yes, but when God sees us refusing to love him, refusing to love other people, running across the street to our own death, as it were, he is rightly angry with us. We then are objects of God's wrath. And what is God's punishment upon us because of our sin? Well, maybe you know that famous verse in Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 verse 23, it says this, The wages of sin is death. The wages, that is the fair payment for our sin, is death. Physical death, yes, but even worse, it's spiritual death that God cuts us off. God separates himself from us. Without God, without his life, we are spiritually dead. Oh, the bad news just keeps on getting worse, doesn't it? It's worse than we imagine. And that bad news is not only depressing, but it can lead anyone to complete despair. However, in the Bible, the bad news is followed by the good news. It's great and, and glorious news. I earlier read from Ephesians 2 verse 1 about us being in a condition of spiritual death. But listen to what follows. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verse 3, and then I'm continuing on with verse 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians 2, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Good news. And I'll talk much more about this good news in later podcasts, but for now, just this. That despite God's wrath towards our sin, God shows us mercy. He shows us mercy. Mercy is what an ordinary judge might show to someone who's been put on trial and the evidence has been laid before the judge and he's declared that charged person to be guilty of the crime and a sentence has been handed down, but now the judge, out of mercy, decides to reduce the sentence. Mercy. In the Bible, this is referred to as, as grace. Grace towards sinners. God's grace. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says it, verse 8 says it again clearly, by God's grace you have been saved. By God's grace you have been saved, saved through faith. Our salvation is not only by God's grace in Jesus, but then it's when we put faith in Jesus. And what is faith? We'll talk more about that later, but Faith is so much more than mere intellectual belief. Lots of people can say, oh, I, I believe that Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago. I might even believe he died on that cross. That's mere intellectual belief. 
Faith is intellectual believing, believing certain facts about Jesus, but it's so much more. The Bible describes faith as that personal trusting in Jesus as your own Savior. Trusting for yourself that Jesus took your sin on himself on that cross. That in God's eyes, Jesus actually became responsible for your sin. And with your sin on him, that Jesus was punished by God the Father. Jesus was killed on that cross. He died on that cross. His body was buried for you, for your sin. The sacrifice for your sin. And that all of that is for you personally. That's faith. That's simply trusting Jesus as your own Savior. Then God in his mercy, the Bible says, out of his grace is forgiving you all of your sin. All of your sin. The sins that you used to think weren't so serious or maybe the big immoral actions. All of your sin. The sin of your inner heart. The sin of your wrong and wicked desires. Your sins of commission, the things you have done, obviously wrong, disobeying God. And your many sins of omission, the things you should have done before God, but that you failed to do, not only towards God, but also towards others. In Jesus, by God's grace, his mercy to us, he forgives us all of our sins as we're trusting in Jesus. What wonderful, beautiful news it is. It's good news. And I hope you can see why we must understand the terribly bad news first. That we have to understand the terribly bad news about ourselves before we can see the good news, before we can understand how good the good news is. Only when we understand how bad the bad news is will we understand how good, how truly wonderful the good news is. And this good news of Jesus literally turns us upside down. All of our sins forgiven, all of our guilt taken away, all of our sins paid for by the shed blood of Jesus. We are brought from spiritual death. Now we are brought into spiritual life. It's a complete and total reversal. It turns us upside down. And this is the good news, the good news that can also turn our world completely upside down. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. Thank you.